Hello, and welcome to the Pre-Snap Motion Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here, as always, by Rich Rebar. Rich, how are you doing today? Dan, what is happening? The next time we do this, it'll actually be June, so we are really moving into the summer months. I don't know about you. I know you're, uh, you know, East Coast, but we got into, like, the mid-80s for, like, the first time, you know, these last few days, and uh, it's time to get that air conditioning cranking already. Yeah, it actually kind of depends on where it was. I was down at my parents, which is like the Jersey Shore area, and it was like 60. Uh, and then I came up to where I live, which is right outside of New York City, and it was like 75 by the time I got there. So it was like a 15 degree difference, uh, depending on where I was in the state of New Jersey, uh, which was kind of crazy. But yeah, it's, it's getting warmer. Uh, it's getting nicer, but I'm spending a whole bunch of time in my apartment. So I uh, can't really... Uh, take too much advantage of this nice weather right now. But, so what I can do is sit here and talk about fantasy football, which uh, is what, what we're going to be doing, uh, which is what we've been doing every week. Thank you guys for joining us and those who have been listening. Um, please rate and review this podcast. Uh, if you have been listening, uh, we appreciate that very much. It helps us out. Uh, I can do that on the uh, on iTunes, the Apple Podcasts. You can also find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so our last episode, we talked about Dynasty fantasy football and all the different ways you can get into Dynasty. And we gave them some strategy and just kind of all the angles you can look at for those looking to get into Dynasty fantasy football. We're going to do something similar this week with best ball. Um, and best ball is kind of, a, I think, a newer format that's gotten pretty popular over the past um, in a couple years. So, uh, Rich, as we kind of get into this, what would you say makes best ball unique and, and why has it become so popular lately? I think for the most part, it's just to, from a maintenance perspective, a lot of people like it because it's, you know, easier to just operate. You know, there's no weekly waivers. There's no trading. You draft your team and you just kind of forget about it. You, you, don't, you don't have to check it. You just come back at the end of the year. I actually am someone that doesn't like to check any of my scores during the season. Some people still do. I'd rather just see at the end what happened. But uh, yeah, you draft a team and you just let it play out. You don't have to set any lineups. You don't have to operate any waivers. So it's no stress, no maintenance. Uh, another thing is too, is you always get the best lineup that no matter what, your optimal lineup each week. Uh, so you get to embrace some volatility, but you also don't have to stress over playing any guys. You know, your, your dreaded wide receiver three, you know, conundrum that you go back and forth on all week and worry about playing the wrong or right guy. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. You automatically get the most points that you would have gotten no matter what every week. Uh, one of my favorite components of it, though, is that we get the live draft all offseason, which really allows us to kind of maintain a pulse on the the draft market. You know, I, I also post these ADP movement pieces kind of once per month, too, on the site. But instead of relying on the old school, like going into mock drafts with no skin in the game, someone takes Tim Tebow fourth overall, and like the whole mock draft's ruined. But now we have these live ammo drafts that give us a more accurate gauge of like the river of ADP as it moves in real time. Uh, while there are, are approaches that you would still kind of, you know, color in the lines with best ball and the format and depending on which site you're in. Um, but we get to really sharpen our draft skills all, all off season and kind of figure out what kind of approaches we want to take when our redraft 
leaks come up. So that's one of the advantages I like of it too, is that you get that, that live ammo drafting continuously through the entire off season. Uh, instead of, like I said, that old, old and tried true of, of, of joining mock drafts and having to have them play out accurately. So um, like I said, that, that's kind of the, the brass tax of it. It's really simple to play. And I think that's what is the biggest draw and allure to it is that it's very easy to do and you get to draft, which is everyone's favorite part of fantasy football. Yeah, everybody goes to draft, and I think we, we talked last week, the dynasty, how the the draw there was how you can just make roster moves all the time whenever whenever you want. Throughout the offseason, you can make those trades, you can make the uh, some waivers, and that's how you set your lineup. And best ball is the complete opposite. Uh, it's, it's all draft, uh, none of those transactions. So for some people, they, they like that a lot more because you just get to do the draft and you can do the draft pretty much whenever you want. Right now, there are best ball leagues going on that you could just jump into right now. And I think that's part of the allure is just, oh, especially in this dead period, I think you see a lot of the, a lot of the diehard fantasy guys, they're, they're just kind of getting that itch in this dead period where nothing's happening. Uh, the draft has happened, so we kind of know a little bit about where these rookies are going to go, and we kind of know what these rosters are going to be, so we can start getting at the idea of where these guys are going to be drafted in fantasy. So you have you just have that time right now. There's there's nothing else to do in the football world, so jumping in and getting these fantasy drafts, uh, that's what best ball allows you to do. Now, as we get a little more uh, specific and dive into best ball and some of the strategy, Rich, you put a, a series of uh, best ball articles on the website, kind of looking at optimal approaches in a draft, because like we said, this is all draft. That's where your strategy comes from, how you're going to draft, where you're going to draft certain positions, how many of certain positions you're going to have. That depends on where you're drafting uh, these best ball sites, as there's some different roster limits and, and stuff like that. So uh, Rich has a great a set of articles on sharp football analysis. You can find that in our fantasy hub uh, goes over every position. Um, so let's just dive in and start with the quarterbacks. You kind of highlighted in your article there, how there's kind of a, a sweet spot and a, a strike zone where, where to select your first quarterback and where you should be selecting your last quarterback. And I think we're, we're driven. We talked a lot about, you know, late round quarterback um, for you know, regular drafts and even in dynasty. Is that something that works uh, for best ball or is that a strategy you should adjust when you're going into just these draft only formats? Yeah. And um, you know, there's a lot of places to play best ball. Now, you know, we've had some places open up like Yahoo and drafters has a new app. Uh, we lost play draft this year, but I wrote these articles specifically around the two biggest volume sites, you know, uh, on fan ball and the FFPC format. So, I mean, uh, some of the notes I'll pull from those articles and talk about here will be, you know, correlated to those sites, but also are applicable to where like uh, the principles, you know, apply themselves on those other sites that are available to you to play now. So definitely check out your scoring and roster constructions and stuff like that. But, you know, diving into the quarterback position, you know, we can't stream here. You know, that we don't, we can't go to the waivers and pick up quarterbacks and, and get our plug and play quarterbacks, you know, which is a major difference, you know, taking that approach in your redraft. You still don't want to go QB early, though. And it just hasn't worked out recently. I mean, on fanball teams taking their QB one prior to the fifth round have had just a four and a half percent win rate over the past three years, while FFPC teams taking their first quarterback prior to the seventh round 
have had a 4.9% win rate. So you don't want to be still early on quarterbacks. Uh, you don't have to, to, to push yourself to take the QB1, but you also don't really want to wait too long either because, like I said, we, we don't have the streaming uh, available availability to us. That real sweet spot is kind of in the uh, rounds 9 through 10 range where win rate really spikes. And then if you wait longer than that, it drops. But for quarterbacks in general, when you're drafting these best plays, the most important rule of thumb, and it'll, it'll, it will, so this will come up in multiple positions, is don't go stars and scrubs. You know, you want to build a strong committee of options at these onesie positions where you can only start one, like quarterback, that are all kind of above the bottom of the barrel position. You know, so for an example, on fanball on fan sites, 76% of the teams that select three quarterbacks have selected their third quarterback in round 15 or later. Now, the interesting part of that dynamic is those teams have just the 7.7% win rate. Base rate is 8.3% walking in the door and drafting a team. So you're below that. Uh, but teams that have taken their QB3 prior to round 15, before you know you hit that last couple tiers of, of bottom end guys, those teams have had a 9.4% win rate. And then when you kind of pair that with where to take your first quarterback, quarterbacks that teams that take their quarterback one uh, after round six and their QB you know, third quarterback in that same strike zone are at 11.4% win rate. So if you want, you want to shop and build a solid tier of quarterbacks that are usable options, you know, you don't want to go down to the, to the, the very end of the line and get Dwayne Haskins as a QB three because you only have two quarterbacks. That's not something that's going to work out. Uh, you know, I won't go over all the specific data per, you know, FFPC, but the same thing follows suit. You want to get your quarter. You don't want to take a, a quarterback at the top. Uh, you don't want to wait to the bottom to get your bench guys and your last end of your depth. Um, you know, this, of course, though, when you think about like the, in recently, the past two years, especially, uh, everything is very impacted by the selections of, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Uh, these are two quarterbacks that set fantasy records the past two years, though, that came really at, at very similar ADP the past two years. We really can't expect to keep getting record-breaking seasons out of, like, that high QB2, low-end QB1 range. So I'm really curious to see, like, what happens, you know, this year now that both of those guys are expensive uh, and now that the fantasy community as a whole is kind of caught up to, like, rushing quarterbacks matter and the value of rushing matters and that whole top tier of quarterbacks are the guys that have that duality. You're not getting a discount on the running guys that can also throw, like, the best guys now that are going outside of, like, the – top eight-ish because even Josh Allen has a high ADP as a low end QB1 or like Joe Burrow and Daniel Jones uh, in, in that range. You know, it's really become a sharper market in the quarterback of understanding what upside is at the quarterback position. So I'm curious to see if we'll have a little bit of reversion to where some of those early quarterbacks matter. But uh, tried and true, don't wait to the end of the line to just tack on to guys that you're under roster at the quarterback position. Yeah, and it feels like something where we're almost – searching too hard to find where the Patrick Mahomes and the Lamar Jackson is going to be for this year, especially even if we go outside of, you know, the, the fantasy football world of how much we're talking up Kyler Murray, uh, because he just falls into so much of, of the same patterns. Um, a guy who's going to be hitting in the second year uh, was pretty good in his rookie season, former number one overall pick. Uh, has all these weapons now. He has that rushing upside. Uh, he's a great thrower. Um, so he's someone we've seen with like huge MVP odds that we just kind of have somewhat assumed. Uh, he's just going to jump into the next tier. It kind of feels like in the fantasy football community, he is kind of seen as, as that next guy that's going to go there. But we're almost all already seeing him in like the top five QB market. And he's not even there in that uh, kind of mid 
you know, bottom QB one, top of QB two market that we saw Mahomes and Jackson in because we're, we're already a kind of baking in that ceiling. We're already assuming that ceiling is going to be there. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see where those uh, quarterbacks are going to be. Now, if we move over to uh, running back, that is uh, a place where there's been a lot of strategies in drafts that have co- translated from that have transferred over from you know uh, from redrafts to best ball, and some of them have worked while some haven't. Um, and one that has not quite worked as well uh, for best ball has been zero RB. Um, now, Rich, can you kind of break that down a little bit and? and why hasn't that worked and what teams should kind of focus on when drafting the running back position in these best ball drafts? Similar to, you know, the late round quarterback strategy and players that plan on, you know, getting a guy that's only, they're only going to use for the opening two weeks of the season and start streaming quarterbacks. You know, the waiver wire is a big component component of the zero RB, you know, approach and you don't have that here. Um, So taking a running back in the first round is by far the most popular strategy on both of the main sites, which is no surprise. But, you know, win rates, you know, kind of take on water the longer you wait to take your RB1. And, you know, I kind of lay those out. Um, But nothing, neither site is is offered any type of results for the zero RB approach. I mean, to be fair, not a lot of teams are really incorporating it. uh, But the way below the base rate win rates for teams that, you know, take their first uh, running back, you know, in the sixth round or later. And because largely just like fantasy football tried and true is the main problem is running back is this overall pay to play position, you know, of the 25 uh, 300 plus point PPR seasons from top 36 selected running backs over the past decade. Only four of those came from running backs selected outside of the top 12 of the position in ADP, while 16 of them were uh, produced by players at the top six in ADP at the position. So those top 36 running backs were drafting yearly. Uh, you know, we're, we're in the, a good strike zone of being a- accurately know the top of those guys are at the position and to know that not a lot of guys hit from like the bottom end of that barrel doesn't mean you, you can still hit on some guys that are like undrafted guys or real late round picks. Uh, But those guys that were, that were counting as like tweener running backs have largely produced, you know, tweener running back results. Um, So, I mean, like I said, you lose the waiver wire and then, you know, something we're going to get into interesting enough though, is that a modified zero RB approach actually is very successful, you know, especially at a site like Fanball where you have to start three wide receivers uh, as part of their roster uh, allotment. Um, and that's something that I'll be deploying a lot in redraft anyways this year, uh, given the depth of the wide, uh, wide receiver position and just how top-heavy the running back position uh, you know, appears to be on the surface right now. But at Fanball, as an example, teams that waited to select their RB3 until after round six actually had a 9% win rate compared to 7.7% otherwise, even though 52.3% of the teams uh, have taken at least three running backs through six rounds of the draft. So, I mean, you could definitely take a modified zero RB approach uh, and have that work for you. You just definitely don't want to start off uh, with a wide receiver uh, in your draft. And, well, you know, we'll cover that when we cover the wide receiver positions. But, uh, yeah, losing that waiver wire ability and just that flexibility of, of, of being able to add that component to your game, plus the running back position being something we've been able to accurately diagnose as long as health, you know, plays plays uh, plays out like it did last year, uh, you know, in typical years, that, that, that those running backs that we pay for typically deliver. Yeah, it's kind of like we've talked about in a couple of our past episodes, just how few bell cow running backs there are. And this is the type of format where those guys are going to produce for you. Uh, and you're going to have an advantage 
over the people who do not have those guys if you're able to grab uh, one of those backs because they just they don't really exist. We see so often now the, the running back by committee, um, and that's the great when you're able to figure out which guy in that committee is going to be doing getting the the share of the carries uh, throughout the season and you can kind of adjust but in best ball when you're just drafting uh, you don't really know so uh, going into that unknown with the running back by committee uh, is is something that very clearly doesn't work out as often and and it makes sense why it wouldn't so with that since you know zero rb in its totality doesn't work out as well and part of that strategy is to go so heavy on wide receivers in other drafts. How should we be looking at wide receivers when we're going into these drafts? So we already touched upon, you don't want to take a wide receiver in the first round, definitely uh, on either site. Uh, it's just not something that has paid off. Actually, even first round tight ends have hit at a higher rate. That doesn't mean if you, if you were someone that had Michael Thomas last year, that you dra- you had a bad team. Of course, you know, you only have one chance at Chris McCaffrey and, you know, uh, you know, Michael Thomas teams had a, a high scoring rate. It was just, you know, they got nuked by Christian McCaffrey teams, but you didn't have to chance. Uh, you didn't often have a chance to bypass uh, Chris McCaffrey to take Michael Thomas. It's just the way your draft felt. But uh, teams that have started wide receiver, wide receiver in the first rounds just haven't fared really good at all either. They have just a 6.6% win rate at Fanball and just a 5.5% win rate in FFPC formats. What's interesting is that teams in FFPC formats do draft wide receivers heavy. Uh, which is, you know, kind of ironic because it's so low. So we want to start out and get running backs and tight ends early. And then just like you said, hammer the depth at the wide receiver position while it flattens out because that, that flattened curve at the wide receiver position is, is higher than the running back and tight end curves at that point of the draft where, where it falls off. So what's interesting is the FFPC, like I hit on, those first two rounds taking wide receiver, wide receiver it just hasn't been fruitful at all. But – 58% of all drafted teams taking their lead wide out in those rounds have gone wide receiver, wide receiver. So they can't just get away from, you know, just doubling, doubling down and getting in almost like that zero RB approach. And then, you know, after that though, if you look at teams that take their first wide receiver in those formats, if you take your first wide receiver in rounds three through five, you actually, your win rate jumps to 9.7%. So you go start off running back, start off running back, running back, running back, tight end. Uh, and then you get your wide receiver one in that next strike zone you're looking a lot better. And overall at Fanball, 37.2% of all teams have waited until after the sixth round to grab their third wide receiver. But those teams waiting to take their wide receiver, you know, until after round six, just have a 7.2% win rate uh, compared to 9%, you know, higher. So you want to come back and hit wide receiver still early. You don't want to ignore it, even though we're hitting the running position. Like we talked about earlier uh, with the running backs, um, you know, just a, just a moment ago, you know, you, you want to get your RB3 later, and then, you know, you come back and get these wide receiver one through threes, uh, all in the, these middle, I don't want to, they're not necessarily middle rounds, early middle, I guess is what we would call them, you know, like say like rounds like, you know, three through five, three through seven, that's when you want to come in and, and come into those tiers of wide receiver. Um, but it's interesting because, like I said, FFPC drafters are going heavy when they take wide receiver, but you only have to start two wide receivers in that format, which is interesting, and you don't have to really necessarily prioritize it, although it does because people see full PPR and all those flexes, something that's been able to be incorporated into the zero RB approach. But being forced to start those three wide receivers on a like fanball actually makes it more important uh, there than it does at the FFPC, even though you commonly see teams try to, you know, deploy it a little bit more over there going wide receiver heavy. Yeah. And as we see just how the game is played, 
there's so much more passing to go around. So some of those, you know, mid-tier wide receivers are going to get a little more volume and opportunity than some of those running backs are that you could take in that uh, in that same area. And I think that's why some of that that grouping of the wide receivers works. And that's kind of where I get myself into trouble when I'm, you know, falling in love with these wide receiver threes um, on like on actual teams that are are not going to be doing anything. Uh, fall in love with them in the preseason and uh, then they they produce nothing so that's that's one of the ways that the best ball can can kill you and you, you look at a, a draft at the end of the season and go uh, yeah that the love for that guy definitely killed me um, I, I find that a little bit but as we do that let's move on to a tight end then uh, tight end it kind of seems now really more than ever is your either getting fantasy production from from those top guys or you're not really getting fantasy production at all you have that that tier the the kelsey the kittle um the hopefully evan ingram um maybe uh if he's used correctly which is is probably something i think we're going to be talking about in in a later episode um so uh, with how the the tight end scoring is seems to work and and how the talent and usage at that position uh is so vast um from depending on the guys at the top tier and those in even the mid tier i think it's the biggest from at any position is it worth prioritizing getting those guys and and maybe reaching a little early to make sure you are getting production at that position uh or is it worth it to to wait and take multiple shots at tight end it's very similar to the quarterback position, except for the top of the position actually does, you know, make a difference. And especially because you get talked about that, that tight ends can also occupy flex spots on any, any of these sites. Um, but yeah, it's been a big gap and get it, although it did drop a little bit last year, getting one of those top tier tight ends has been ultimately advantageous. Uh, we kind of hit on, you just don't want to open with a wide receiver, you know, at, on any level. And even really in the first two rounds, even taking tight ends in the first round of that, have yielded a higher percent win rate. It's not as many teams as the sample size, but they've been more profitable than teams going wide receiver early. Like I said, you, do, you don't have to um, just just pull up anything that has a wide receiver in the first two rounds, and it's one of the worst you know win rates. So if you just start tight end wide receiver, 8.4% win rate, uh, but tight end tight end has 8.9% win rate. Running back wide receiver to open, 7.8% win rate. Running back running back, 8.6% win rate. Uh, but, you know, uh, actually running back tight end has produced the highest win rate going that type of strategy. So going RB1 and tight end one has been right around 12%, you know, win rate. The sample shrinks a little bit. It's not, it's not as ultimately as common of approach. But getting one of those tight end ones has really been advantageous, especially if you pair them with a high end running back that is bell cow usage. Um, and you just don't have to land Kelsey either. I mean, teams at Fanball taking their first tight end over the opening four rounds have an 11.1% win rate uh, over the past three years compared to a 7.5% win rate after. While teams in FFPC formats, which is tight end premium, one and a half points per tight end reception, have posted an 11% win rate uh, in the same strike zone as opposed to a 7.4% win rate in teams that wait to take their tight end one afterwards. So, I mean, you're not getting a big window if you're talking about only waiting four rounds to take guys because the tier drop off the so massive you're not seeing a lot of those guys get reached for um you know you just so you definitely don't want to get caught you know trying to hodgepodge the tight end position and getting stuck with having to get a bunch of guys in the middle to late tight end one tiers and pushing those guys together and one of the other key things is like the quarterback position is you really want to avoid going stars and scrubs you know don't wait to the bottom of the barrel to build your depth um teams taking their third uh you know tight end and three tight end team builds 
uh, have had just an 8.8% win rate uh, and below our winning rate threshold of 8.3%. Um, you know, in every round, you know, over the final three rounds on Fanball, despite 51% of teams that take three tight ends, taking their third tight end in those rounds just hasn't been advantageous. In FFPC formats, that same holds true, even with the tight end premium scoring. Uh, you know, losing your late round picks on your final tight end in the three tight end approach uh, over their oh, past round 20 or later on FFPC because it's 28 rounds, those teams just have a 6.9% win rate. Uh, and they're below average win rate in all those rounds, uh, despite 57% of all teams that take three tight ends taking their third tight end in that bucket of rounds. So definitely just like the quarterback position, you want to have your depth in those in those onesie positions. This one isn't technically a onesie position because if you have some spike weeks, they can occupy flex spots. Um, but you don't want to go to the bottom of the barrel and really take long flyers on these guys that just don't generate points. You want to use those middle – uh, those middle to late rounds to kind of build out your depth and just not wait to the very end and throw your flyers. Even if you have a Kelsey, even if you have a Kittle, um, I lay out some of that in the article too, as you know, just pairing your early tight end one, round one guy or round two guy and saying, I'm okay. I'll just get some guys to fill in because this guy's going to fill my spot most of the season hasn't worked out at all. So don't wait to fill your depth uh, just like the quarterback position. Yeah, so much of this, uh, the drafting strategy is kind of knowing where, the the strength of the positions are and as we talked about how it's a tight end it's it's a big gap between the top tier and the middle tier it might be a bigger gap between the middle tier and the bottom tier tight end where these guys just aren't catching passes there's no opportunity there um and and you're so rarely do you see one of those bottom guys at tight end end up you know, going into you know the even the tight end two really area you just you don't see that because the guys who can catch the ball we kind of know who those tight ends are and the guys who can't are the blocking tight ends who are kind of just they're on the field but they're not going to get as much opportunity so waiting so long for tight ends yeah is something where you're just you're not going to catch the opportunity with some of those other positions where you you might catch on is even at like wide receiver those guys are going to get thrown the ball before the bottom tier of the tight ends are um so making sure you do get that that nice little uh, strike zone of where the usable receiving tight ends are going to go. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, so as we move on now to the final position, um, team defense and special teams, it's mostly a, a throwaway position for so many other drafts. You know, you're doing your home league. The last two rounds are always uh, kicker and team defense. Uh, usually sometimes now you're just avoiding those in drafts altogether and you're just picking up whatever's left on the waiver wire. But like some of these other positions, you don't have waivers in, in for team defense in these best ball leagues. So um, you, you don't have the streaming ability. So uh, what, should be we, what should we be doing with team defense? And is there maybe an inefficiency we can use because so many people are going to be ignoring this in drafts? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest thing is just to hammer home. Take three defenses. No matter where you're playing, always take three defenses. We see a lot of times teams try to get by only taking two defenses. It is Taking three defenses is common on FFPC because the rosters are so deeper, but we always see on a site like the best ball tens and fan ball uh, where the rosters are only 20 players deep. Teams try to skate by only taking two defenses. And you 
teams with two defenses make up 75% of all drafted teams over there. Um, and they do kind of meet that threshold of clearing our 8.3%, you know, baseline win rate. But um, of the 15 and percent drafters taking three team defenses, they have a spiked rate. That's the highest over there at nine and a half percent. And then FFPC formats, it's literally the only roster allotment that has an overall uh win rate over the threshold so definitely focus on taking three defenses and for for a lot of reasons one is because the the scoring is so linear on team defense and there's so much volatility to it a defensive touchdown can come from anything they just don't come from good defenses uh which you know you you see teams that have spike weeks and defenses uh, that aren't necessarily good real life defenses all the time. And a lot of these times are teams that play in like these shootouts. Remember two years ago, the chiefs had an awful defense and they were like the best fantasy defense they have outside of the bears. Uh, you want teams that you'll know, in, incorporate a lot of other teams having to throw the football. Cause that's how you get sacked. That's how you get turnovers uh, and so forth. Um, but just like your redraft league and your home league. And just like we talked about quarterbacks, don't be the guy taking defense early. Don't be the guy taking the first defense. We talked about the volatility at the position a little bit. We see it every year. Someone in your draft takes the Jaguars first, or last year they took the Bears first. Someone this year will take the Patriots early or the 49ers. Don't be that guy. It just doesn't roll over. Uh, on fan ball, teams taking their first defense prior to round 15 have just a 7.1% uh, win rate compared to 8.9% afterwards. Uh, in FFPC formats, uh, the threshold for win rate is kind of around later, around 16. Uh, teams taking their defense prior to round 16 have just a 6.5% win rate compared to 8.9% afterwards. Um, but as the same uh, that we talked about with these other positions, you know, studs and duds isn't always recommended. So, I mean, just because you took the Bears or the Patriots this year doesn't mean you just wait till the very last pick and say, well, I don't need to take another defense because this other defense is going to fill my, my – my uh, roster spot for so long that just doesn't hold true at all um so three defensive teams taking their first uh defense prior to round 16 and ffpc have had uh you know an 8.1 percent win rate um but that goes to 10.2 percent afterwards uh you know whereas you know prior at fanball it's at round 15 we said it's just still not sound uh three defense teams taking their first defense prior to round 15 uh, only have a 7.8% win rate. So that just hasn't worked out saying I'm going to get a good defense and then a bad defense, even two other bad defenses. It hasn't worked out. So definitely just don't be in early on position, just like the redraft league, uh, you know, then, then just don't wait for the very, very end and, and scoop up like the final two defenses that are available uh, because it doesn't work out. So, I mean, just you kind of just similar baselines for all these other positions um, is you don't want to get caught building your core at the position, and it just happens like tight end and defense and quarterback. You're just, you're just not going to roster as many guys as running back and wide receiver, but you don't want to build your core out of bottom of position, uh, which should be common sense, but we fall into that trap a lot of the times because you might have a player you believe is good enough to be a, a steady anchor for you at those positions that you drafted earlier. Yeah, man, just as you were rattling off, it's people who took the Jaguars and Bears early, it's just like, ugh. It's just uh, chill going up just fine. Because if there's one thing we learned about defense, it is the volatility from year to year. We have no idea what defenses are going to be good. And so much of that, as we've kind of talked about in the past, comes from the offenses they're playing. And we don't always know the quality of those offenses at the beginning of the year. Um, there are some surprises. And um, you know, what we do know is defenses are not going to be, especially the extremely good defenses. They can still be good, um, but you're not going to be getting the value from thinking the Patriots defense is going to be extremely good again. Um, and the 
the likelihood of them being worth that early fantasy pick. And it's just, it's, it's not there. There's, there's nothing there worth it. So uh, we can still say that the Patriots and 49ers might have good defenses in 2020. That's probably uh, between the, the amount of players they, they brought back, but thinking that they're going to be great again and, and as good as they were in 2019, that's just, a, a, we can pretty much say that that's not going to happen. So yeah, please remember that in team defense. Um, and yeah, it's the, the high volume approach is so much better than, than trying to hit those teams. Cause just remember the, the Jaguars and the bears um, just, just as you're thinking about taking the new England Patriots defense in fantasy early this year, if you are probably, if you're listening to this, um, your podcast, you're probably smart enough to not do that. Um, I would like to think that of, of our listenership right now. Um, so I, maybe we don't have to worry about that for, for you who are listening. Um, but if you are, just think of the Jaguars and the Bears. Um, so as uh, we've kind of gone over all of, of these positions and all of the strategy you should be doing, I, I hope you feel better about uh, best ball and knowing what it is and knowing how to kind of go at your strategy. I, I know I do, especially after reading all of Rich's articles that were on the site. Um, it, also, all of these positions are in, in separate articles uh, on sharpfootballanalysis.com. They are in our current uh, fantasy football hub uh, that you can also find on our homepage. Uh, so you can go there, you can read all of Rich's fantasy content there. We'll continue to be putting up fantasy content um, all throughout uh, the off season. There's so much there already. There's still more to come. Um, so uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, please, again, rate and review if you have not. Those help about greatly. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Sharp Football Analysis at Sharp FB Analysis on Twitter. Um, so thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank <laughs> you.